Hey guys, welcome to the kids' table. Today we're watching Blank Check, the 1994 movie um, starring Miguel Ferrer and Brian Bonsall. Those names mean everything to you. Uh, quick summary for you guys. After a crook named Carl Quigley nearly kills 11-year-old Preston Waters by running over the boy's bike, he mistakenly gives the boy a blank check. The resourceful Preston makes out the check for a million dollars and cashes it. As Preston enjoys spending his windfall, Carl realizes his mistake and goes looking for the boy while the FBI searches for Preston's alias, the mysterious Mr. McIntosh. Preston soon learns the real value of money. From Walt Disney Pictures, this morning, Preston Waters got something. Who's on my bike? Get that check to your dad. He'll know what to do with it. That's going to change his life. Yeah! Now he's buying more stuff. You have a house. Meeting more women. Baby brother comes into his own. And stopping three crooks. I'm gonna get you, kid. From taking all of his money. That was dark. Disney's Blank Check. Now playing at a theater near you. Check newspaper for showtimes. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Um, hey, guys. Welcome to the podcast. Um, if you've been, if you listened to the intro, you know that we watched 1994's Blank Check this week. This is Kendra, and I'm here with Matt. Hello. Hey, uh, my co-host, and we're going to discuss um, a movie that I thought came out a lot later in the 90s than it actually did. And you were, you were more of a fan of it. I, I mean, I think fan is a strong word. I think it came on a lot on television, and I watched it a lot. But you said you're current now. Oh, as, yeah, yes. As a, as a grown person, you, you like it? I do. Um, you thought that it was a net positive? Not necessarily that it was a positive, um, more that I just enjoyed it more than other movies that we've watched. Uh, I saw a t-shirt today in Times Square. Uh, <laughs> it said, um, money is my motivation, um, and bitches are a bonus. <laughs> and that's... <laughs> Like Sorry. that's how I feel. That, that's what I feel. The like takeaway of this movie mostly is without the like sort of tepid, tacked on, uh, you know, lesson at the end. See, my uh, my takeaway from this movie was that it's the perfect movie to remind millennials because this movie came out for the millennial generation that it's important to budget. Yeah. Okay. I just want to. <laughs> okay. I just want to start right off. Sure. Um, this movie is. Um, very, very enamored and with money, obviously. That's the whole point of the movie. Um, the whole point of the movie. It starts off with Quigley, the mobster. There's a lot of mob. You're going to notice this theme in the movies we watch. There are a lot of mobsters after kids in the 90s. Yes. <laughs> uh, inept mobsters who can't just get that rascally kid with the giant flannel and the backwards hat. Uh, but he comes out and he... The first, the first, like, the basic first establishing shot is he's all wet from the rain, he's escaped jail, and he uncovers his secret cache of money in a briefcase. A million dollars cash. A million dollars cash. Cold hard. Um, and it, right away, dripping wet, he very sexually kisses his money. Right. And that is what the movie's about. It is a sexually, pathologically uh, uh, greedy people. <laughs> <laughs> um, he yeah. whispers to his money, he kisses it, he's all soaking wet, and then it cuts to, like, Preston's family. Right. And I actually, so, here's the thing, I think you're gonna learn about me as this podcast goes on. <laughs> Children who are bullied 
really get to me. Like, I really have trouble um, watching that on screen for some reason. And it's not, I don't even think I'm working through any kind of childhood trauma or anything. Um, it may just be because I work around kids all day. But Preston is treated horribly by his brothers, which is sort of the impetus for his wanting money. See, well, okay. First of all, as an older brother of three younger brothers, mm-hmm. um, and as a friend of other people with siblings, male sure. siblings, <laughs> it was a pretty normal relationship. Really? He had with his, yeah. It seems so mean. His brothers, who <laughs> you can't help but hate because their names are Ralph and Damien. Yes. <laughs> They're like jocks, and they like punch him, and, and Preston, obviously being a Disney movie child protagonist, is very precocious right. and sensitive, um, and his family's struggling, I guess. I'm not sure if they had a... I'm not sure if they're struggling so much as they're frugal, which is... They, this, remember, this was before the internet boom. This was before, you know, the real onset of the Clinton years. This was more coming out of the Reagan years. The economy wasn't... What, what? You're laughing at me. The economy was not doing so great when this was no, shot, no. probably, in 93. No, I know, but, like, the, they live in a very big house in Indiana, in, like, yeah. a nice Indiana suburb, yeah. and yet, and they're obsessed with money right away, because the dad is, like, you know, look at your enterprising sons, like, look at their entrepreneurial ventures, like, they're out working and, and making money, and, and there's a lot of, like, like, uh, proverbs and, and uh, weird sayings that they say, so he's, like... yeah. You know, the, a, what is the golden rule? A penny saved is a penny earned. <laughs> what is the golden rule? And then he says, those who have gold rule, or something like that. Oh, or no, right. those, those who have gold make the rules. Yes, yeah. So, like, that's a weird lesson to impart on your son. Like, the dad's clearly, like, programming this kid to not just be frugal, but be, like, t- to see money as, like, a key to power and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. um, co-opting humanity. Sure. I mean, I wouldn't take it that far. I mean, I'm really feeling like it's coming out of, like, 93. This is coming out of Bush and Reagan. Like, I kind of understand that that philosophy. The, the, things weren't going so well, I don't think. And we were at war, too, right? Yeah, but, we we were, ju- but like, a really... I mean, war is war. Like, a show... Like, like okay. <laughs> I didn't want to talk about politics. Sorry. I, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty uninformed. That's okay. I was just Operation thinking, Desert Storm. Desert Storm. Right? Yes. Well, didn't we just sort of like Kuwait. blow th- through that? Yeah. This yeah. impression will not stand in Kuwait. Right. Didn't it, we win? We, yes. Quickly? I mean, we won. I'm well, using sure, air quotes. Right, right. <laughs> we won an illegal, yeah, quickly too, yes, right? Yeah. So that was supposed to make us feel better? I guess. We didn't really start feeling better as a country, I feel like, until Bill Clinton went on Arsenio Hall. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we are way off topic. <laughs> Well, no, there's a lot of background again, and he played that uh, M83 saxophone riff. Yes. Uh, um, Black people fell in love instantly. Right, he had the Blues Brothers glasses. Yep. Um, so we're coming off of, we haven't yet gotten the, the nice shot in the arm that it was the Clint, Bill Clinton. No. So we're feeling bad. Right, we don't have really the internet yet, which actually is a really interesting facet of this movie. It kind of uses early computer technology... Um, in a way that I felt like kind of made it very relevant to 2016. Yeah, he gets a, a Macintosh yeah, computer, which factors in. Yes. Um, his brothers, it, sh- it should be said, his older brothers who are terrible to him, at least in my opinion, being an older sister and not terrible, mm-hmm. um, are moving into his room for some reason to start a business. We never really find out what that business is. They're just using their big muscles, their jocks. And yeah. Their, yeah. So uh, they move into the room, and the dad gets them a spare Mac computer uh, from work, 
And yeah. Preston is supposed to be kind of a geek. He goes to a water park in a collared shirt and, like, <laughs> khaki shorts. I just, I felt really bad for this kid. I don't, yeah, they give him $6 to go to a water park to really, really drive home that he's deprived. Yeah. Uh, and he can only go on the lame rides, like the merry-go-round and, like, the right the kid rides. Yeah, but anyway, so this computer is in the room, and Preston is the only one who knows how to use it. And his dad is like, show your brothers how to use this computer. And he immediately uses the voice technology to yeah. make it say what? Uh, Ralph and Damien sleep butt-to-face. Yes, and then it goes butt to face. But to, to face. <laughs> which made me think ass to mouth from the Requiem, centipede. Requiem for a Dream. Oh. <laughs> I was thinking human centipede, because I guess I'm disgusting. Because, you know, I bring my now adult shit to these movies. Right. Um, and yeah, he's a whiz kid immediately, just to sort of show that he's precocious. Right. Still. The dad says something that was weird. He gives them the computer and he's like, this thing. Allows you to do all sorts of stuff, but it doesn't teach you how to make love to a woman. Which in 93 it didn't. Could you... Well, okay. Not another tangent. Yeah. I, about whether or not you could get porn in 94 via the internet. I don't... I mean, you could get, like, Star Trek fan fiction porn. Oh, wait, like, <laughs> text porn? Yeah, like you, erotica? Could, you could get, like, yeah, you could get, like, fanfic porn through listservs. This dad, though, <laughs> says that. His kids don't respond. Right. Uh, the wife has a rejoinder. There's a little bit of a motif where the dad... Says something ridiculous. Again, th there's a sexual pathology here that I'm really, really... Oh, we can get to I'm not that. trying... Well, because the dad... The dad is struggling. He's doing... He does something. <laughs> he's obsessed with money. He's, he's always pushing the value of the dollar on his kids and yeah. making sure they realize that it's the key to everything. And, and, and the, mo the motif, which happens at least three times in the movie, is that the dad's not getting laid anymore. <laughs> and the wife is, essentially it seems like she's waiting to give him her body until he succeeds financially again. Yes, I did get that impression. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure I feel about that. No, it's weird. I'm saying yeah. this movie, I don't like this movie. I, I, okay. I, think, I think it's... Um, I think the moral is 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 inside it as like an afterthought, and otherwise it's like this weird, just like orgiastic exploration of like <laughs> the power of money. I mean, what I I will say, what I did like about this movie is that it is ninety minutes long, and it takes the, <laughs> no. I mean, the first fifteen minutes are like really hardcore setup. They set it up within uh -huh. the first fifteen minutes, and then it just rolls along from there. Like this sure. movie knew what it wanted to do. It knew that this kid... So the kid goes... There's no fat on this, on this there's movie? There's no fat in this movie whatsoever. <laughs> the kid goes to the amusement park after his parents give him $6. He has a miserable time there. Um, his dad then gets a blank check from his grandmother for, his, for the kid's birthday. The grandmother has forgotten to fill out the amount uh, for the check. The dad takes the check and is like, how much did you get last year? And he says, $10. So the dad adjusts the $10 for inflation because the dad really, truly is obsessed with money. <laughs> um, so thanks to inflation, the kid gets an $11 check. Right. But the key is he learns the, the value of a blank check, what you can do with a blank check. Exactly. And the dad says the name of the movie, oh, it's a blank check. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Which is always, you get a little frisson of excitement when you hear it. Completely. Totally. 
Um, so the kid takes the blank check to the bank. And this was another movie, I mean, another point in the movie where I really related to this kid. He goes to the bank. He gets up to the bank teller, who we will talk about in detail, I promise. He gets up to the bank teller and he says, I want to open an account. And he hands her his $11 check. And the bank teller says, there's a $200 minimum. Now, I don't know who you bank with, but I know all about the drama of banking minimums. Because I get charged $15 a month to keep my own money in my own bank account because of bank minimums. Which bank do you use? Wells Fargo. Oh, should I say that? <laughs> keep it. Keep it. Yeah, I'll keep it. Um, okay. I, I mean, I don't know. We don't. We shouldn't talk about our personal finances. No, no, I'm just saying, like, I really relate to this idea. Like, he was so furious about this banking minimum. And I'm furious all the time about my own, like, balance minimum. And what the fuck is he? He's starting, like, a simple checking. Like, right. It's like you have to have five dollars in there before you get fined. Usually, now. No. Oh my God. No. Like Wells Fargo maintains you have like a fifteen hundred dollar like minimum in your checking account. Wells Fargo sounds like a piece of work. Yeah. They. I mean, they are. But point being, like this kid just wanted a checking account, and he was told he had to have two hundred dollars. He was eleven. He's eleven in the movie. I. I mean, he looked I didn't eleven. Pick it up. Uh. Anyway. <laughs> well. Okay. Well, here's the problem, Preston. You're supposed to empathize with him. He gets bullied. His brothers are jocks and they punch him in the arm. Uh, he, he doesn't have a lot of money, but he lives in a huge house and has a computer in his room. Uh, <laughs> he still gets to go alone to amusement parks. Yeah. Un, unaccompanied. And, uh, I, and, and he's so mad. He's so angry about his, like, how little he has in his life. I he get has that. so much... He has so much. But, okay, weren't you, like, did you get an allowance as a kid? No. Oh. Oh, really? Okay. okay. <laughs> I mean, you rode horses, right? Yes. So, I don't know. I, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe perspectives are skewed a bit. I mean, I'm not saying that I got, like, a fortune every week, but, like, start, I, oh my god, at one point, I was getting a quarter a week. This was when I was, like, five. And uh-huh. they just wanted to, my parents, I think, just wanted me to under, my dad was a banker. I think my parents just wanted to, like Preston's parents, wanted me to understand the value of a dollar. So I had to get a quarter every week. And I really, really wanted an American Girl doll. Mm-hmm. So I was like hoarding quarters in my room. American Girl dolls were $90 at the yeah, time. Yeah, a lot of quarters, yeah. Um, so my mom eventually took pity on me and just bought me the American Girl doll. <laughs> um, but like, so wasn't there any time you were just like super angry when you were younger that you just weren't getting... What you wanted, especially in comparison to your siblings? Well, I was the oldest, first off. Right. So there was no compare, comparing my siblings as having more okay. independence than me. Okay. It's just, the, it's just the like equation of cash with efficacy that his parents like really hammer home in him. Mm-hmm. And then he gets bullied for reasons that seem to have... It's almost like you link them with the fact that he's broke. Right. They make fun of him because he can't afford to go on, like, the super mega roller coaster water coaster. Mm-hmm. We're so far in the beginning of this film. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, I mean, there's just, a, like, a lot. I just, like I said, I really empathize with Preston. They um, call him Presto the Pesto. Oh, that red-headed bully kid is terrible. They're all in very 90s clothing. Yes. They call him Stick Boy for some reason. Yeah. Uh, his brother calls him Bacon Butt. Yep. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of very 90s insults that are being thrown around. Um, but yeah, so let's let's go ahead. So he's at this bank teller trying to cash this check. Um, 
he leaves the bank in disappointment and right. intense anger, as Matt has detailed. And in the parking lot, uh, he's riding his bike, and he gets hit by... Quigley, the gangster. The gangster who has escaped jail. Um, Quigley backs over his bike in a terrible... Like... Again, we, we need to... We'll structure this show really well soon, but hold on. <laughs> Quigley... Yes. Got the million dollars. He brought it to the bank... Right. For your... Brought it to his, uh, his, his very stereotypically Jewish banking... Cher's dad from Clueless. Right. Whose name is something Biederman. Mr. Biederman. Mr. Biederman. Yes. Uh, who so- sold him out, apparently, in court. Yes. And instead of paying with his family members' lives, he is forced to, like, criminally uh, deposit the money and then re withdraw it as, right. like, laundered, legitimate, non-dirty funds. And then give it to Quigley so that he can start a new life in this town. Right, so Quigley can set up Operation Again doing whatever he did to get in jail. Which we never find out. Um, but he's willing to kill people, and he's definitely willing to kill Preston, this child, so <laughs> he seems like a bad guy. Right. So uh, he hits Preston's bike, and he's got this book of blank checks that Mr. Biederman has given him uh, so that he can launder the money. And the police kind of are easing into the parking lot, so he just hands he hands Preston yeah, he a blank check yeah. to pay for the bike so that he won't talk to the police. Which, an hour ago, Preston had learned what, what, a blank. what he could do with that. Yes. And that's where this movie gets a little, a little interesting for me, because Preston proceeds to go home, and on this Mac computer that he has in his room, thanks to his brother's business... Forge a check. Yeah. Now, I don't know a lot about, like, how that stuff works, but it seems to me that this movie coming out in 1994, technology was not as advanced, clearly, as it is now. It seems to me that could have almost worked. Yeah, it was like, catch me if you can, almost. Right. Like, and he he had, he was, because he's so obsessed with money, he has, like, QuickBooks or, like, Excel or something. He's, like... Keeping a track of accounts and funds and, like... <laughs> right. But even just the simple act of forging the check, like, he had the program that had a check layout on it so that he could insert the check in his home printer. Right. And print it out. And it just seems to me, like, this is a movie released for preteens. You're giving preteens a real, like, step-by-step process to stealing your parents' checkbook. Yeah. And forging a check. But, but also, why? He got a legit check. From the gangster. Right. So why did he why did he print Handwriting? it? Handwriting? I don't know. I don't, I don't understand because all he had to do was write the amount in. Yeah, but he has like an eight year eleven uh, year old boy's handwriting. I have never seen a legible eleven year old boy's handwriting. That is not that is not an acceptable reason for why he did that. I mean I, I, mean, I think personally, <laughs> guys, big big Mac. That's that's just a food. Uh, <laughs> Mac I feel like Apple like funded this movie. Oh clearly. Obviously, Apple, Sharper Image, and Coke. Yes, Coke and and um um Hess trucks. Hess like. trucks, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so this movie's got also branding all over it, which is just an extra little like layer of frosting irony. Mm-hmm. But I think it's just to show the functionality and creative capabilities of a Mac, as right. opposed to be something that he needed to do at all. That's fair, but I still think it's fuck this movie. <laughs> I still think it's really interesting that they released a Disney movie. That had a really clear pathway for an 11-year-old to go home and steal their parents' checks and forge one. Yeah. 
So he, you know, I just have questions about that. (laughs) I don't know. He goes back to the bank. Mm Mm-hmm. He, he's, it's not so easy. He's not, he wouldn't just be allowed to cash this check. Right. If Quigley had not threatened Biederman and then said he was going to send somebody. To get the money. To pick up the cash and, uh, but didn't describe him at all. Right. So then Biederman thinks. That this is the decoy that Quigley has sent. Which, you know, clever decoy. That's a child. Yeah. He's like, okay, this is. Good idea, like right. innocence, um, and so he he starts shoveling a million dollars in cash into this boy's backpack, <laughs> which I'm not sure the average Jan Sport backpack could, could fit a million dollars. I didn't even think about the volume of a Jan Sport backpack. <laughs> um, I was thinking, I was like watching them shove that in there, and I was like, I'm not sure. Well, you know, maybe not. He said small. No, he said big bills. Right? That was the joke. Yeah, he wanted like, big bills. Yeah, and then a million dollars. This is this is this is the like when kids think of a big number. Yes, they turn into like Doctor Evil, and like that's the. It's true. We um in public school in New Jersey, we had to do this project in the fifth grade called the Million Dollar Project, which was where you had to create a budget and and like your fantasy the fantasy way you would spend a million dollars and then mm-hmm. justify all of it. It was the worst project. It was at, no, it was like asking a fifth grader. It was mostly asking a fifth grader's parents because a fifth grader is not going to use Excel. And Excel was like a necessary part of this project because you had to do the budget and all the math really? stuff. Yeah. So it was really a project for the parents of fifth graders. To tell their kids what they should want? No, to do the project once the kids had been like, well, I'm going to buy a horse and then I'm going to buy a house and then (laughs) I'm going to, you know, use. And you had also the crazy thing about this project was you had to budget it and it had to equal exactly a million dollars. You couldn't have a penny left over. That's just a good life skill. I mean, no, this was a terrible project. Also terrible because I like grew up in a suburb of very diverse incomes and, you know, it kind of sucks Asking a kid whose mom makes like $25,000 a year to imagine what they would do with a million dollars. It is true. I, I I could have learned how to balance a checkbook in school. I think that's something that schools might offer and they do not. Yeah. I well, have a... Oh, wait, wait. Yeah? Back to the film. No, I was going to... I mean, I was going to ask on this tangent, like, what would you do with a million dollars at Preston's age? <sighs> Gosh, I don't know, man. <laughs> We don't even know how old he is. No, but I mean, he's like high eight pitch, to yeah. eleven years eight old. Eight to eleven, yeah. I wouldn't do the, some of the shit. Was like pretty bush league, like buying like a, a truck full of cookies, buying garbage bins filled with ice cream. Like, I'm not down with that. I, don't, I wouldn't do any of that. Okay. Um, can I just say though, when he goes into the bank, there's a statue of Atlas <laughs> holding the world on his shoulders. And Preston looks at it and goes, I know how you feel. Listen, this kid has a lot on his shoulders. I can't, I just lost sympathy, like, every scene. Like, I just liked him less and less. Really? I just felt more and more sympathetic towards him. I don't... (laughs) I, I just, I really, I have a hard time watching kids get, like, people be mean to children. No one's mean to him, really. The bullies are terrible to him. Whatever, man. A bully... Just call him Presto the Pesto and don't hang out with him. But that's sad. I got bullied and I'm fine. I got I, bullied when I was a kid. And I'm fine. 
Oh, did you have some stuff that you need to work out? No, I just, it's fine. <laughs> okay. It doesn't matter. He doesn't have the world on his shoulders. Didn't you? Okay, you're going to tell me that when you were being bullied, you didn't feel like you had the world on your shoulders? No, I was just sad. <laughs> I didn't feel like I had responsibilities. I was just like, damn it. Okay, fine. K- mean kids. I, Brian Bonsell is a good child actor. He I, is. He was. He was really good. He's cute, and he's sells some scenes. He can't cry on screen for shit, but no. he's a... Uh, He's, he's, he's cute, and he's got some, like, child actor charisma. I see why he had a nice career. Uh, he stopped acting. 94, I believe. 95. 95, okay. Yeah. After this movie. Yeah. Well, you know, he did what he needed to do. Um, so, one of the characters that we meet after uh, Preston has cashed his, has been given all of this money uh, by Mr. Biederman is a man named Juice. <laughs> Juice um, is an African-American man, played by Tony Locke, who I think I'm probably supposed to know who that is as a child, as a black child of the 80s, and I just don't know who that is. Yeah, he looked familiar. Yeah. But so did a lot of actors in this movie. Yeah, he did a lot of voice acting. Um, I was able to find out. He was one of Bebe's kids. Uh, So, you know, he got around. But um, this man seemed in this movie to come from the Hollywood Shuffle School of Acting. <laughs> in that, um, you know, he was very clearly a black man. Yeah, and his name was Juice, and yes. in 94... Oh, oh o- shit, you're right! The OJ uh, trials were, were in full swing oh. as, a media, as a media frenzy. So oh, I hadn't even thought of that. There's, uh, I'm 100% convinced that is just a tasteless reference. Oh, God, that's painful. No, well, this I think this came out in February of 94. When did that all go down? July. Yeah, so he was still... We still liked OJ. When this was shooting, probably. Hmm. So it could have been a tribute. Nah, my theory. No, no, no. But still, <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up, because I hadn't even, like, thought about that. Okay. So, no, this could have been, like, a tribute thing. Oh, boy, and it went sour. Oh, God. Well, it, uh, t- mail in at... <laughs> do we have an email? We do. I'll give it during the break, because right, I can't remember it right now. Whatever, guys. Don't worry about it. No, um, yeah, but... Juice was a a very stereotypical uh, black character, sort of sort of the the archetype of the black side character that we're going to see in a lot of these movies. I think he had the most humanity of the. There's a triad of thugs that are after yes Preston at some point, uh, and and you know what he was the he was the most real at least. Mm-hmm. Like I like laughed more about his like being annoyed about everything. <laughs> But yeah, it was not, I mean, he was supposed to be, he was the legitimate courier that was coming to actually pick up the million dollars. Yes. And he comes immediately after the kid, after seeing the kid in the hallway, Mm -hmm. uh, so that we can make sure he recognizes his face later in the movie. Yeah. Um, and gets pissed off at Biederman, and then, and then the the hunt, the hunt begins. He just says a lot of things, like, says y'all a lot, uh, you know, and like, sits down in Biederman's chair and immediately puts his... Nike's up on the nice furniture in this like wood oh, panelled yeah. office. Yeah. It's it's very um he 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 is very much um an obvious kind of character. But so yeah, that's that's just someone to pay attention to for the rest of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so meanwhile, Preston is off buying a castle that is for some reason for sale in this Indiana <laughs> suburb. Yeah, there's a there's 
There's a straight up castle, like, a, like Saxony, like castle for sale in Indiana. And it's not even just the exterior; like the interior that we see is a castle. Right. There's like a beer. There's like a antechambers and like a beer hall. Yes. And like battlements. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he buys this house, which Quigley is trying to buy at the same time, um, which is kind of how Quigley finds out that his money has been switched with the kid. Also, this house is a castle. I don't know what 94 inflation adjusted is, but it was $150,000. Well, it was originally 150000 The couple was willing to settle. It, it sold for three hundred. That's how much Preston... Ends up bidding, yeah. This is... Okay. Preston uses the voice thing on yes. the Macintosh computer. Right. Never forget the brand. No. Uh, in order to sound like Stephen Hawking over the phone and uh, and just bid over the phone, outbid Quigley with his own money. With no proof with of no proof money. of ID. Yeah. Uh, and just promises to give pay 300k for right. the house and he which, gets it which he does he ends up paying in cash and you know i guess that wasn't sketchy at all to no anyone. and he's a child and right. he's a child who says he represents so he, he he okay in kaiser soze sort of fashion he he looks at his computer wall trying to think up a name for himself a fake alias uh, just an alias that's redundant and uh just Macintosh, because let's drive the product home, because Mac computers are, are a huge donor, I think. Mr. Macintosh. And his name is Mr. Macintosh, which yes. is, he's strapped with that shit for the rest of the movie until it implodes. Yeah. Um, so, like, quickly, before we get on to the second half of the show, um, after he buys this house, he acquires a chauffeur, who we'll talk about sort of next half. But there are um, a bunch of montages that sort of come up as he's spending the rest of this money. Now, keep in mind, he's already spent 300000 of $1 million. Can I, just say, can I just say, like, when he's buying the house, this is how much, like, the, the like, background knowledge he has because of his, like, crazy dad. Yes. He's like, I'll be willing to spend, like, blah, 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 plus closing cost. Right. Like, does he know what a closing cost is? That was so true. I was like, he's so oh. fucking brainwashed by his dad. Right. Who's like, like, know how to conduct yourself in every business. Like, well, you know what? That it goes I, beyond precocity. It's like, in some ways, though, that reminds me of my dad, who made me take my both my parents made me take golf lessons when I was younger because they told me deals are made on the golf course. <laughs> <laughs> I think about that. <laughs> We're gonna go to break. <laughs> We're gonna go to break on that. <laughs> no. see, y'all, see y'all in a second. get something down really quickly. He's 12. Preston is a 12-year-old boy. He's a 12-year-old boy. Yeah. Okay. We just felt like that was really important to clarify as we go into some of the stuff that 
we are about to discuss. Right. Think about statutory laws and stuff. If, yeah, if you really want to think about statutory laws in the state of Indiana, we welcome any emails from lawyers um, who might want to weigh in on what we're about to talk about. Great. Okay. Um, so we're going to start with a, a slightly happier subject, uh, that of the chauffeur that Preston eventually hires, and his name is Henry. Yeah. He's a... <laughs> He's, 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 he's my favorite part of the movie. I, I think he's really funny. Uh, it's played by Rick Ducommon. Yeah, he's Canadian. Rick Ducommon, I believe. Ducommon. Yeah. <laughs> Something. Um, he's actually like a really... He gives a really good comedic performance for what the material is, I would say. Yeah, and he, 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 he clearly got to riff occasionally mm-hmm. in some scenes, which they like kept in, which I appreciated. Yeah, so he was in a lot of had a lot of bit parts in movies. Um, he was in Die Hard. He was in The Burbs, which Matt really likes. He's a he's a he's a security guard in Gremlins too. <laughs> he was in Encino Man. Good stuff. Yeah, so like he worked very steadily um, and worked past the point of blank check. And his performance actually reminded me a lot of another movie that we'll eventually get to. But Meatloaf's performance as the bus driver in Spice World, I felt like oh, there man. were some similar threads here. It was just like. The kind of tubby, fat, or, you know, like, funny chauffeur. Yeah. Who just got into hijinks with his customers. Right, and he just rolled with it. He was clearly, like, a mercenary, just like a man for hire. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, he made out like a bandit in this film, because mm-hmm. he just sort of, like, took Preston's money. Yes. Obviously, he knew that Mr. McIntosh... I, my personal opinion is that he knew that Mr. McIntosh wasn't real the whole time. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. But... Uh, the almighty dollar, once again, rules. Yes. <laughs> and he is friends with a 12-year-old for the duration of the film. We're going to see that a lot, again, just like in other movies we'll watch. Adults who just really make friends with these prepubescent children. Because the thing is, because Preston buys a home. Yes. He buys a <laughs> castle. He buys a chauffeur. And obviously, cue montage. Yes. But like, he then spends, he splits his time between the home he bought and his actual, I guess it's the summer, so, mm-hmm. and then, like, spending time at home, and just tells his parents that he now works for Mr. McIntosh. The older man, he, their 12-year-old son, I want to, like, really hammer this home. These parents are okay with their 12-year-old son working for an older man that they've never met. Right, whose just name is Mr. McIntosh, and he handles Mr. McIntosh's affairs, or he has, like, such a big job, he's, like, a factotum or, or, or a gopher or something Yeah. this man. Um, but anyway, back to the, the chauffeur, Henry, um, he accompanies Preston for all of his shopping, numerous shopping sprees. We have three, I believe, total montages in this movie. Um, the first one we see is the first sort of shopping spree montage. It is set to a remix of the Motown song, Money, That's What I Want. (laughs) Um, and it just sort of goes through that stereotypical 90s mall. They, they do a lot of shopping for ugly clothing and dance in front of... Um, television stacked on each other. Yeah, that was 90s. And, yeah. and, you know, a lot of, like, flustered, um, like, store owners and, yes. like, retail clerks running around with giant stacks of, of merchandise in their arms, but they just can't say no because they've brought the money. Right, yeah. And he... I'm always interested when kids in these sort of scenes where they... in these fantasies where they have all this money, I'm always really interested when they buy suits. I don't know if that stands out to you. I guess I didn't. I noticed he had, like, full coat and tails at some point towards right. the end. We but didn't see him buy that one. We saw him just buy, like, a suit. 
Did he buy a suit? Yeah, during that first montage, which it just interests me that a kid would get a million dollars and decide. Well, this is this would be the most like character rich segment, right? Yeah. It's like if 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 you vote with your dollars, if you <laughs> if you like express yourself in the one medium that you know Preston definitely is obsessed with. Yeah. Uh, like kids kids approximating adult behavior is interesting. That's true. Yeah. But he does the stuff you'd expect from like. I mean, this is this is the climb. This is like the money shot. <laughs> this is what you would. This is what like kids who like this movie probably liked it for, which is like seeing a child their age mm-hmm. go into stores and buy whatever the hell crap that they want to like satisfy their little lizard brains for for a millisecond. Yeah, he. I mean, he goes through the televisions. He buys video games. He buys clothes. He buys a water slide, which I admit, even as a 28-year-old woman, pretty looks, cool. looks pretty great. Yeah, pretty great. Like Not so down with the go-kart. I don't need that in my life. Um, but I understand why a 12-year-old boy is, is doing that. The go-kart, uh, among uh, the slide and some other <laughs> things, is what we would call the uh, Chekhovian gun on the wall to be fired in the third act. Wow. <laughs> it comes into play and serves a plot function. Thank so you. therefore, it's needed. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, okay, so that that kind of covers Henry. Um, now that we've we've gotten through Juice, we've gotten through Quigley, we've gotten through Mr. Biederman, I'd love to discuss with you Shay. What's her last name? Shay Goddamn Stanley. Shay Stanley. Which is a cool name. It's a great name, I would say. It's a very Marvel Comics name. It is. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Um, so we mentioned... Uh, she does her look like, like a, like a Nor- really Normie Jubilee or something. Yeah, she was like very pretty. Like this was a banging woman, I would say. <laughs> Full-grown woman in all respects. <laughs> okay. Second in every way possible, not just bills at the bank where she worked. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we mentioned earlier that when Preston first goes to the bank, he meets a teller who tells him that he has to have a, a balance limit before he can open a checking account. The person who tells him this is Shay Stanley, um, played by, I have it, played Karen by Duffy. Karen Duffy, yes, who has uh, another person who has continued, she's not deceased, has continued, <laughs> I feel like deceased is something we talk about a lot on this show. If but, you have a 90s movie, it's sure, it's, it's, it's happens. Yes. But uh, uh, Shay Stanley is played by Karen Duffy. She's a bank teller um, at Preston's Bank, but she's also an undercover FBI agent. She's deep undercover. She's a mole in the bank. Yep. She knows that Biederman's up to some shady deals. Yes. And so she, once Preston comes back to the, or Preston meets her while he's in the chauffeur with Henry. He sticks his head out of the sunroof. You know, every kid's fantasy. I will admit to have having that. Right, have so having, he's have he's that got his big sunglasses on yeah. and his oversized David Byrne uh, approximation of an adult man's suit. Yep. And he, and he just, I don't know, he's just out of a limo. Right. And so uh, Shay is jogging down the street by the castle that Preston has bought and they pull over and Preston begins to flirt with her. Mm-hmm. And this is where I got really uncomfortable with this movie. Yeah. Preston meets Shay. Love at first sight. Classic. Which was okay. The His gaze on her... So it's a slow motion scene in the bank when he first sees her walking by. 
That was fine with me. 12-year-old boys, I understand. Their dicks are just starting to work. Yeah. Uh, un- un- erections unbidden are a thing. Right. It's accurately reflecting that age. Uh, but It's her response that I'm real weirded out by. Or not even, it's not her fault, it's the writer's fault. But it's her fault a little too. Yeah, but uh, okay, I should say it's the way the writers decide to have it's her a character tango of 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 yeah. Yeah. So basically, he starts flirting with her when he meets her hanging out of this limo, and she starts flirting back. And part of it, at first, the way it unfolds, you maybe think it's for this sting operation that she's working with the FBI. She's the only adult potentially who sees clearly. You think at the beginning, yes, uh, uh, that everything about this kid is weird and the fact that he's got so much money and uh, Mr. McIntosh as the cover. Right. Um, And so Preston asks her out on a date on behalf of Mr. McIntosh, this person he's created. Um, And Shay agrees. And they go on a date. They proceed to have a really good date. It's like, it's, the date that they go on, it starts in a fancy restaurant, and <laughs> Preston is like, it's really, it's actually cute at first, you know, Preston is trying to pull out uh, her chair for her, and I should say, he's playing 11 in this movie, he's a really short 11 year old, so it's, you know, it's cute, he's struggling, um, he's trying to impress her, he's scared by the lobster, the fresh lobster that appears on his plate. A good performance, Brian, uh, uh, what's his face, Brian ba- Bonsell is, is, is like, charmingly flustered. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So, like, it starts out fine. It's when they leave the restaurant because Shay discovers that, or starts to figure out that he is very uncomfortable there, and some hijinks happen where a lobster gets thrown across the room. And then uh, Preston says, how do you feel about burgers? So they go for burgers, Uh and they eat their burgers, and then Preston takes her to an outdoor fountain. This kid is a smooth operator. (laughs) And it's one of those fountains where, you know, the water shoots up out of the actual ground, and if you stand in the middle, you don't get wet, but then you kind of have to jump from space to space, from space to space, to Mm -hmm. keep from getting wet as the water jets shoot up from the ground. It's a moonlit night. She's looking, she's wearing a dress that, like, I would wear on a date with a man my own age. Right. You know what Kendra means. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, there's cleavage, there's leg, there's heels. Right. Clinging on all the all the all the shapes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and they proceed to just have this really romantic time running around this fountain. Like they have a date that I would kill to have in New York City. She's giggling. Needless to say, the fountains eventually get them both all soaking, soaking wet. wet. And this dress is really clinging, and she's having too much of a good time for uh, being on a date with a 12-year-old boy. And if this was all... I should, This is all being per- portrayed from the perspective of us looking in. I think that if this was coming from the perspective of Preston looking at her, it would be different. Because then we'd be seeing it, his interpretation, like through his gaze. Mm-hmm. But the fact that we're seeing it as the director just wants us to see it, I'm a little more disturbed because this is telling me that the director was okay with having this be a real date. This is so clearly like something for daddy. You know yeah, what I mean? Like yeah. just one of those creepy like for daddy moments where you, you brought your kid. Like, because, yeah, please do not ascribe a motivation that is not there in the movie. Like, right. 
it would have been a better scene if Preston mm-hmm. was all enamored and she was like, like it cuts to her like being kind of annoyed maybe that she got or just, over yeah, or if there had been a clear scene where someone had made it clear that like maybe her boss told her to cozy up to this kid for information or something. It just really just comes off very inappropriate. Well, she's also got that vibe of like a woman who will who would fuck a 12-year-old to get her perp. You know what I mean? So like like there's also some oh, problematic Jesus there's also some problematic like like portrayal because it's the 90s. Oh, boy. We knew we had to cast women and, like, people from other cultures and stuff, but, like, we still didn't know how to, like, make them dimensionalized or not just, like, horrible, horrible stereotypes. Yes. Um, she mean, woulda. She woulda. And this is, is my theory. Yeah, I mean, and she is kind of like the FBI femme fatale type. And yeah, I guess age was nothing but a number. As Aaliyah, I think Aaliyah maybe said that, like, a year later. I think that was, I think that song came out like a year later. Probably because of Blank Check. Yeah. I think we can directly, there's a direct correlation there. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So this entire relationship uh, proceeds throughout the movie. They have this really great date with the fountains. There are, oh, the other thing that made me feel really weird about the fountain date was that grown people applaud them. Oh yeah. People start watching them just sort of like running around like idiots in the, in the friggin' uh, fountain and, and get wet. Yeah. And then there's applause, like mass applause from this group of people watching them. And then Biederman, Juice, and Quigley, <laughs> who've been on the prowl, find them and yes. go, That's the, the, there's the kid. Right. And, uh, and they begin to chase him, and he escapes in his limo. Right. As, as you do. Whose license plate is Easy Life. I, I, you know what? I, I ascribe that completely to Henry. I think that was all Henry. Yeah, that sounds like something Henry would do. Yeah. He's a fleshed out character, and I like him a lot. <laughs> I mean, I, not to belabor this point of this inappropriate relationship, but because this movie was directed at kids, that's kind of why I really have an issue with it. I watch a lot of Disney Channel shows. You know, I do. Um, I'm a, I'm a, a pro. Yeah, I'm a 28-year-old woman who watches Girl Meets World in earnest. And one of the things that I love about Girl Meets World is the fact that there are young children with crushes on older boys and the older boys make it very clear to these girls that, like, this relationship would not be appropriate. And it's, like, very, like, well laid out. And it's a show directed towards children. And I think that's, like, a really important message. Not that it's not okay to have crushes on older men and women, but that it's not appropriate. And I think that's not a message that's really portrayed a lot in children's media. No, and in Blank Check, especially, the you know, at the very end of the film, like, the last sentiment of the movie... That's never that's whatever. That's never made clear. We'll we'll talk about yeah, it, but like we'll get there. that truly is not something that this movie discourages. No, and I mean it's not only the fault of this movie. Like I think that's most children's media when dealing with the inevitable crushes that kids have on older right. people. So it's not unique to this. This one I think just takes it further than most. <laughs> so he escapes he escapes. Right. Um Yes. Um I'm kind of fucking forgetting he, so he escapes, and then there's another montage, because he's trying to impress her, oh, because yeah. his, he's trying to impress, Preston is trying to impress Shay, because his birthday party is approaching, and he's going to throw this birthday party for supposedly Mr. McIntosh, right. but it's really his own, I guess he's turning 12. I mean, this is the point in the movie where 
uh, Preston starts to feel the constraints mm-hmm. of the fictional boundaries that he's created he, for himself. Yeah, he's created he's created this prison. Yeah, he's now in. He's kind of like he's like he's he's in a VR rig in his huge home. Watching anime or something like I, yeah. I, would, I would really love to know which anime he's watching if anyone has seen this film or wants to watch <laughs> it, because um, he's watching anime in VR helmet, but he's kind of like he's like a little bit Great Gatsby ish. He's like mm-hmm. sitting there, and it gets and during his party, it gets really Great Gatsby ish. Like he's oh. just he's just like sitting, looking on the you know on the battlements of his castle house, not enjoying the party. Yeah. Uh, Thank you for bringing O.J. Simpson and The Great Gatsby into this Disney movie. It's certainly there. Yeah. Thank you. But before that happens, um, isn't there a chase scene? There, No, the chase scene comes after. The chase scene comes after we meet Debbie Allen as the other stereotypically black party planner. Oh, yeah. There's a, there's a party planner that comes in to help Preston out. Yeah. And uh, she has an unplaceable accent that is southern with a eight very other things southern. thrown in there. Is it very southern? I uh, know, I think it's just like the southern that that foreigners think of when we say southern. <laughs> Isn't everyone involved American that made this movie? Yes. Yeah, just, oh totally. I think it's just stereotypically southern. It's just it's like a nineties joke. Ninety four, it's like like okay. Right. Like like she she she's insanely southern. Yeah. It was actually really, ha, ha, ha. it was really interesting to see Debbie Allen in this movie, only because, like, I'm mostly now, like, my images of Debbie Allen come from Grey's Anatomy, and she's, like, aged, and oh, she was, like, really graceful older woman, and in 1994, she was, like, young and, like, flirty and just, you know. Well, she's cutting her teeth in, in movies like Blank Check. Well, no, this was not cutting her teeth. She was the star of fame in the 80s. Oh. She's Felicia Rashad's sister. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's a whole other, that's a whole family. And we'll actually get to them a little, they'll come back up in the podcast. And, okay, so <laughs> this, yeah, I know. So this, this party that he's throwing for himself. Yeah. A.K.A. Mr. McIntosh. Right. Um, before this, I mean, obviously, anyone who knows anything about money, mm-hmm. <laughs> who's watching the movie, like, way before he throws this giant party, is like, alright, 300k for the house. How much, like... How much has he been? 800 TVs. A VR rig. Mm-hmm. Like, he's surpassed a million dollars probably a couple times over at this point. And the clothing. Like, just so much of the stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so many, like, augmentations to the castle. So, mm-hmm. like, I mean, just, like, in terms of the realism there. I mean, granted, we're talking about a Disney movie. It's a cartoon, essentially, set with live-action people. <laughs> so, like, we're not, like, not giving some leeway. But, right. but it's fucking, I don't buy it. No. And he, I mean, and we, he ha- we have not seen a budget from him this entire film. No. And he was so anal before, and now he's just, yeah. he's got money in a backpack, and he's just throwing it at people. <laughs> yes. He used to have, like, a QuickBooks spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> what happened to his prudence and his, Well, because yeah. the computer's back at his parents' house, where he's not. Where he's not, and his dumb parents, in classic, also Disney kid movie fashion, are just like, well, oh, whatever, you know. Yeah, you don't show up to dinner. Yeah. Oh, I should mention, during this entire movie, while he's doing all these things, he's grounded. He is grounded. But his dad loves, like, can-do, working, you know, Protestant work ethic so much <laughs> that, like, the fact that he's working for uh, Mr. McIntosh, it's, it's too... 
It's too character building for him to let him not leave the house. His dad is basically Calvin's dad from Calvin and Hobbes. Right, but his dad is a patent attorney in Calvin and Hobbes. Oh, yeah. His dad... He wants to show Preston his prospectus at one point. Yes. Which, write in if you know what that is fully. (laughs) I think it's like... Like a like a sort of like synopsis of like investment. What is it? So I, my dad worked at like Chase and Morgan Stanley and Barclays like all while I was growing up. I still don't know what any of this shit is. The dad is <laughs> the dad is very excited. We learn sort of after the fact uh, about Mr. McIntosh because. He's this famed millionaire, reclusive, that's no one's seen in town. Yeah. Uh, and it, it becomes clear that the dad also sees Preston's connection with Mr. McIntosh as a potential business deal. Mm-hmm. So that he can sell some sort of prospectus to him. Right. Um, so he can invest, or, or I, I think that's what that is. Yeah. So, the, that's not really an important plot point. Let's go back to the, the, the party. So, um, it's at the party, which is going pretty lavishly, and yes, no one will really talk to Preston, um... Because they're all waiting for Mr. McIntosh to show up, not a 12-year-old child, in a suit that I'm pretty sure Jared Leto would have worn to a Suicide Squad premiere. (laughs) (laughs) It's absolutely Joker, Jared Leto's Joker style, uh, like, (laughs) twisted fuckboy that he is in that movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, like, who did he invite as well? I was trying to figure that out. Like, It's 99.9% adults right. who... He, he, Mr. McIntosh is not real. Right. No one's met this man. I was really trying to figure out why all these adults were at this party. That's why he loses all of his money play, party, playing this party. Because yeah. I think it's Debbie Allen's... I think it's, like, her crew. She just hired, like... Oh, like Trump did for his presidential announcement. Right, like, just pieces of meat to stand around yeah. and, like, approximate, like, someone who's popular. Right, right. Yeah, so it's at this party uh, where... Debbie Allen comes up to him and is like, well, I need $100,000 now because I planned this party. (laughs) And Preston goes up to his bank account to try to transfer the money into her account, I guess, and and the giant computer screen in his hall reads uh, transfer unavailable or something like that. By the time he he owes Debbie Allen what? It's $100,000. He has three hundred dollars. Three sixty-five, like three sixty-three or something 332. like that. Three thirty-two. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I believe. Uh, Matt really paid attention. I'm trying to offer the best content uh, available. Oh, thank you, thank you. Um, Earwolf, are you listening? Come on, man. <laughs> Comedy bang bang. Like, let's, <laughs> let's cut the let's let's pull the plug on that one. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, so he, yeah. yeah, he only has like three hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can't pay Debbie Allen. Mm-hmm. She starts getting real. Salty about that. Real salty. Very southern. Uh, very very stereotypical. But you know, a lively performance. Uh, sure. From a member of black royalty, I will I will say that. There's more life in her than in a lot of people. Yes. And um, so then it goes into the the villains, uh, Quigley, Juice, and Biederman crash this party. To they finally figure out where Preston is living and who has the money. So they crash the party at the castle and come try to get. Preston, and this is kind of where I stopped paying attention because this scene wasn't great. Well, they need to end it. Yeah. And obviously, he's been pursued the whole film. Right. There was a previously there was a chase scene in a car in a park. Not a terrible chase scene. No, it's one of those scenes where 
like Preston is obviously. I don't see how Quigley doesn't understand that Preston has his money. I don't understand why they would ride in a car around a park doing more damage to themselves in the car than yeah. than it would be worth. Doing donuts in the in the park. Right. They're wanted by the police. Quigley's wanted by the police and he's like crashing in the cars. Yeah. Um so so that happens, but it, you know, it's more for like physical gags and right. things. So they 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 yeah, they infiltrate the party mm-hmm. and they try to attack Preston in his home. And then a sort of Home Alone sequence yeah. happens. But it's like a lesser Home Alone sequence. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's an inferior version. Yeah. But this is what I was talking about when I said all of his like spending spree gadgetry mm-hmm. comes into play, yes. aka like Chekhov. Because <laughs> and I I'm trying to like add a veneer of respectability to this horrible movie. Uh so Biederman tries to get him and he slaps the VR helmet on Biederman and <laughs> makes Biederman go insane <laughs> by playing his, like, ADHD, like, Tim and Eric-style, like, VR shit. And, and so Biederman goes crazy. He traps Juice in the batting cages and yeah. fires 100-mile-per-hour baseballs <laughs> at him, which is very dangerous. Very. Well, talk about dangerous. What he does to Quigley is lock him in a steel uh, hamster wheel and knock him into a pool. Yeah, he takes Quigley, he goes down his water slide, which we discussed, right. to escape Quigley, gets in his go-kart, uh, uh, knocks Quigley into his human Zorb soccer ball, mm-hmm. and then drives his go-kart and pushes him into a pool. Which could have ended terribly. And it looked like he did drown. Yeah. Initially. Right. He doesn't, though. Of course, he suddenly wakes up and tries to grab uh, Preston. Yeah. And, and, and you know, it, it all works out in the end, like... But Shay Stanley. Right. Uh, so the movie ends. The police show up as the three thugs are grabbing Preston and kind of threatening him and saying, "Where's my money?" One memorable line from uh, Juice was, I think it was Juice or Quigley was, "How did you spend a hundred uh, or a million dollars in six days?" <laughs> and I was like, "Girl, like, I could do it." I think that's one of the better jokes in the movie. Yeah. They save it, and then you realize it's been six days. Right. Uh, I thought that was pretty funny, actually. <laughs> but I was like, I mean, easily, like, put me in Bergdorf's for a while, and I could, you know. Yeah, in 2016. Yeah, yeah. I mean. I mean, six days is crazy. A million dollars. Got me a studio apartment? If I was lucky? Yeah, well, okay. Okay, well, oh, anyway. We, so, live in a, we live in a brave new world, and yeah, it's not as good no, as we live, in a, we live in a trash fire of a city. <laughs> um, so, yes, the Shay shows up to save Preston as the three thugs are manhandling him. And, you know, in that sort of very typical scene that's in the, at the end of a lot of the, these movies, the thugs are being led away to jail, and Preston is sitting by himself with a blanket wrapped over him. Drinking a cup of coffee. Yes. <laughs> and Shay comes over the, you know, to sit by him and sort of debrief him. And the movie ends with Preston saying, or their last conversation, I should say, is Preston saying, oh, well, can I still call you? Shay says, well, why don't you wait 10 years? Right, 22. Yeah, 20, and so, oh, God, yeah, and how old will she be? Like, 36 at, at the most? At she, the least? I was like, she's 29 minimum in the bank teller job. Right. Yeah. So, 
And then they sort of negotiate years back and forth. She says 10, he says seven, or five, she says seven. Right. And then she agrees to the seven. Right. So he'll be 19? Yes. <laughs> he'll be just there. A ripe 19. So then... And if, and if you look up images of uh, Brian Bonsall uh, <laughs> as an adult man, you'll see that Shay Stanley... Would have made the right choice. Wait, really? Is he cute? No, he looks like uh, he's got like a butterfly tattoo on his throat. Oh! He's he's he lives in Colorado and has a lot of run-ins with the police. Oh! <laughs> no, he, he fit. He yeah, he's another troubled child actor. That's sad. With a lot of legal problems and. We're gonna discuss a lot of troubled child actors, and I have to say, like, I'm kind of glad that I don't have the attach attachment to this one that I've had to like Jonathan Brandeis or Brian. Oh. Brandeis. Brandeis, yeah, Brandeis, or... Not the Supreme Court Justice. So, oh, my, wait, who, what did I say? Brandeis. Oh, sorry, yes. But... But, yeah. yeah I, he, he turns into, like, a, a, a just a dirtbag, like, punk rocker, and okay. once he leaves Hollywood. Okay. Well, so then, they're sitting there, they're negotiating ages, and then, Shay Stanley gives him a goodbye kiss, not on the cheek, but right on the lips. Square on the lips. Like a real kiss. Yes. <laughs> it's a good kiss. Like, she she gives him one. I... He's gonna go right into his spank bank for a thousand years. I was really not okay with this. No, it wasn't good. I didn't like it. Like, I, I was really, like, I was... My skin was crawling. Um, so she, yeah. She, <laughs> she kisses him on the mouth. And, the uh, cheek, the cheek was right there, right there. It's because she wanted to. And that's kind of well. Honestly, you're saying that like, like kind of a knew. joking way, no, but, but like you knew the whole time. It was, yeah. Chase Stanley. <laughs> <laughs> I just. She so she kisses him on the mouth. Yeah. Uh, that happens. He goes back home. They shoehorn their tepid little. Money is important. Fucking. Family is more important than money. Right. Not money is important. That's the actual message. The, <laughs> the, the attempted message at the end is that he never realized that how nice his dad was. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, right. When I, he sees that he has no more money to pay anybody, he finally, his epiphany comes true and he realizes that money can't buy happiness. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> and his dad, <laughs> thinking he's Mr. McIntosh because the chair is turned around, confesses that, like, oh, I, I might have I pushed Preston too hard. I, I might have not been there for him at all times. Very boring. Yeah, I mean, that part, I kind of... Bloodless. Had, at that point, I was just too concerned with the fact that Shay Stanley had a crush on a 12-year-old. So focus on the morals of this movie. Because this movie is moralless. There ain't none. It's not quite as moralist as, like, Jingle All the Way or something. Oh, we're gonna, I mean, we'll get there. No, no? I don't know. Um, no. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Right in. Um, yeah. but <laughs> so he goes back to his house. Yeah. And has the normal birthday he would have had. Yes, yes. His whole family, who are non-people the whole time. His brothers are pieces of shit. Mm -hmm. His parents are spineless oafs who don't understand anything. That said, I will say, these aren't the worst parents we will see no 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 in movies no they're, of course they're, they're normal not. people they're not normal 
That's a huge I think they're normal. Yeah. See it for yourself, folks. Yeah, yeah. Write in. Tell us what you think of these parents. They give him a cake. Yeah. He makes a wish. He says, what could I possibly wish for? Everything I need is right here. You know, the drill. And and then they're like, well, you have to blow out the candles and make a wish. Uh-huh. And then he he sees a picture of Shay Stanley? Where, where did he get that? I don't... There's a picture of yeah. Shay Stanley, like, on the computer or something. Yeah. And he, like, mugs at the camera and goes, oh, I can think of something. He want to... He want to... He want to bring on the pain for Shay Stanley. And then he blows up the candles. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a sex wish. He makes... Which is fine, because that's age-appropriate for a 12-year-old boy. I get it. Um... I just don't like that it was reciprocated. It was very much reciprocated in the film. Yeah. And I'm, you know what? I I know I started out this this episode saying that like I liked this movie. <laughs> and I think... Here's what, I don't sour anybody. No. I think I liked this movie because it gave me a lot to think about. Like more so, like I had a lot of like legitimate thoughts and feelings while we were watching it. Uh, more so than I've had with like say The Ladybugs. Um, which was just sour and painful. Yeah. And do you want to do closing closing thoughts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you... Matt has a piece No, of you me. go first. Okay. Um, so, Blank Check uh, was, was not what I remember, and I watched this movie a lot as a kid, um, but I did find it kind of prescient towards today, just in the whole, like, money thing. Like, this is a... This is, was a movie that came out when a lot of us millennials were pretty young, and... I feel like it was a really good lesson in just budget your money. Just just budget it. Like, don't just, like, first of all, if a windfall happens and you're a millennial, just expect it to go badly because that's really what I expect out of my life. Any extra money I have, I know that the next morning I go out, I'm going to go outside and the bumper will be gone from my car. <laughs> like, so, you know, so, I mean, something will go badly if something goes well for you. Um, but yeah, it, this movie was just kind of ruined for me once the whole Shay Stanley thing So, yeah, happened. she's got a hair trigger about that pedophilia stuff. I do. Well, you know what? I think we all should. <laughs> Alright. A uh, couple of closing sentiments. Uh-huh. Um, I personally think that, um... <laughs> Sorry, I'm looking at what Matt has pulled up on his computer screen. <laughs> I think that uh, I think that Preston's character will develop a nice, a nice severe case of uh, uh, fetishism around financial domination, known as findom on the internet. Uh, it's uh, when people, usually slaves and submissive men, pay or tribute money to a dominant female. Dear God, this is a fetish brought on by the need to be controlled. I'm really sorry. In any and every way possible. True financial domination means that the slave tributes money of his own volition without expecting anything in return. I am so, so sorry, listeners. That is what he's going to suffer for the rest of his life. That is the psych- sexual pathology that he'll earn. Lastly, I'll say, um, Blake Snyder was uh, the main writer credited for this uh, screenplay. We didn't mention that. No. He, uh, he has a very famous um, series of books called Save the Cat. Uh, and he has uh, the Blake Snyder beat sheet which you can look up. I think if you went to film school, you probably heard about this. We did. 
It's uh, the it's like your classic three act structure broken down into fifteen beats. Uh, I read them all, and Blank Check definitely hits all of them. But like I said at the beginning, this is a movie that really just gets to the point. There's no fat. Yeah, I would argue that that's not even true, but like, there's, we're running out of time. It's uh, yeah, fine. And lastly, I'll just say, Blake Snyder, um, very, very, very successful screenwriter in his time. I, I think it's worth note to say that this is one of the scripts that he actually um, received a million dollars to make. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was just, in case you're wondering, so he was a scriptwriter, yes, but he was apparently the most successful spec scriptwriter yes. of his era. Um, he also died recently. Heart failure. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, so, um, uh. anyway, Matt, um, so at the end of each show, we like to give the movie, movie a rating, uh, one to five stars. We do two ratings. We do... One for as we're watching it now as our 28-year-old selves, and then we do one for as we would have watched it in the year that this movie came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were both 88 babies, is that true? Yes. Yeah, so we both would have been six um, at the time, or around five or six when yeah, this yeah, movie yeah. came out. And, you know, just give me your six-year-old opinion on this movie. Uh, as a six-year-old, mm-hmm. I probably would give this movie um, three and a half. Maybe four stars, mm-hmm. depending on the day. Okay. Um, because you're uncritical of that age, and, and I think watching a young child in a castle using VR to play video games would have would have been all I needed. Fair. And I, now? I, I, I like a, like a, uh, I want the scale to mean something, so I'm trying to really like think about it. Uh, mm-hmm. Ladybugs was worse. I do. I, I will say I really hope the Ladybugs episode comes out before before uh, this one because that is a that is a doozy of a movie and a great one to start on. Two. Two. Okay. This is a two. Um, yeah, so I would have been six when this movie came out, and I have to say that I I don't think I saw it until later, and I think at six this probably wouldn't have interested me, mainly because it was a male protagonist. Yeah, well. And <laughs> We're in the 90s. So. Right. And he played a lot of video games. Um, so I just, I, yeah, I just wouldn't really have been into it. Matt's trying to open a beer while I speak. Um, no, it's fine. It's fine. But yeah, so I probably would have given this like a two. I would have been entertained and I would have sat through it. But I also would have been asking like where my Aladdin animated cartoons were. Um, now, I feel like I would give it like... A two and a half, three, not because I think it's a great movie, but because I felt a lot of feelings while I watched it, and I I think that's a legitimate thing, and I it gave me a lot to think about, even if those things that I was thinking about like weren't good, and because like I said, it was a ninety minute movie that really just got to the point. Okay. Yeah. So um, that's blank check. Do you have a burp that you want to leave us? No, don't do that. I'm so sorry. Don't ignore that. Um, yeah, so normally at this point I would tell you what we're watching next week. Don't know what we're watching next week yet. We don't know, but stay tuned. Um, thanks for listening to the Kids Table, guys. We'll see you next week with another awesome 90s movie. We'll try to do, you know what, I'm going to promise you, we're going to do a better one next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs>